2: Support for MPB comes from Red Mountain Entertainment, presenting the Dave Matthews Band, live at the Brandon Amphitheater on Tuesday, May 29th. Tickets available now. More information at Ticketmaster.com.
1: Good morning. It's 8.30 on Wednesday, May 9th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, passions are running high as groups meet with the National Park Service about designating civil rights sites. We'll hear some concerns. Then find out why municipalities could risk lawsuits if they don't adhere to a recent U.S. Supreme Court ruling.
3: When cities keep these rules on the books, campaign season will come along and somebody running against the mayor or running for city council or for board of aldermen will get mad about the sign rule.
1: And after a Southern Remedy Health Minute, Mississippi after-school programs are coming together to help the state's youth. We'll get the details. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Officials with the National Park Service are in Mississippi this week to hear what people think about civil rights sites in the state being designated national parks. Yesterday, people shared their opinions at two Mississippi museums in Jackson. Among the sites being studied is the Bryant store in Money. That's where Emmett Till allegedly whistled at a white woman. He was later murdered. Priscilla Sterling, a a Till relative, says she doesn't want the store in the study.
4: I think that the store should not be a part of the national site simply because with how the the atmosphere is now as far as white supremacy, it would empower, to me, them. It's about the perpetrators. Roy Bryant and J.W. Milam, and Carolyn Bryant, she lied didn't tell the truth of what actually happened in that store. So why would you want that to be a national museum site? This is where Emmett's life was taken because of the particular incident that happened in that store. So not only did Carolyn Bryant cause Emmett's life, but she caused her husband, her brother, and our entire nation to suffer behind... This lab, which was a pivotal point of the civil rights movement. But look at what's going on now. Sixty almost sixty-three years later, we're still seeking justice for Emmett. And that store definitely is not somewhere that we feel there should be something to be famed or acknowledged. No.
1: Emmett Till relative Priscilla Sterling. Ben West is chief of planning for the National Park Service's Southeast Regional Office. He tells MPB's Desiree Fraser, economic impact as a consideration of the study.
0: This is a study that will be looking at uh, the potential for recommending new National Park Unit sites in the state of Mississippi. The study itself will not make any of the designations. It won't lead automatically to a, a national park unit uh, being established in Mississippi. But certainly national park units as a whole have been demonstrated to have effects on local communities in terms of economic impacts, uh, in terms of visitation, additional visitors, and additional Types of private operations that are associated with the National Park Unit. So it's very common for new or any National Park Unit to have a, a strong connection and, and, and positive economic impact to surrounding communities where they're located.
5: How many does Mississippi have now?
0: We have eight. There are eight National Park Units uh, scattered throughout the state.
5: There is concern raised, there was concern raised about inclusion. Uh, are any African Americans involved in this process?
0: Yes, absolutely. And that's certainly something I heard loud and clear at the meeting today was the importance of involving, at the end of the day, it's important to involve the right people who have first-hand or second-hand knowledge of those places, those sites, those stories, so that we can, we can work with them, whether they're black, white, or or whatever, honestly. We just want to make sure we involve the right subject matter experts both on our team as well as in the the local community so that we get the information that will help inform our study.
5: So does that mean that there are African-Americans involved on the National Park Service side? Yes. How is turnout going with these meetings?
0: Turnout has been just fantastic. Uh, I think we probably had close to 60 people at the two events yesterday, one at uh, Cleveland at Delta State, one at the Tallahatchie Courthouse in Sumner. Um, I don't know how many people came today. We'll look at the numbers, but it was about the same for a midday meeting. There was many people, and the the number of comments that were generated was fantastic. It was exactly met our expectations and, and in fact, uh, hoping to build off what we heard today.
5: Let's talk about the comments a bit. Today there was concern expressed about the Bryant grocery store being considered a member of the family. The Emmett Till family doesn't want
0: that. Right. Uh, it's really not my place to, to talk so much about that. So the, the purpose of the study is to understand that's part of the Emmett Till story, that resource as it's re, in its relationship to being able to preserve and appropriately tell the breadth of what happened in 1955. And the Bryant store clearly is part of that story, and so we'll be looking at it uh, uh, from that light. Ben West with the National Park Service. Thanks. Thank you so much.
1: Other sites include the home of voting rights activist Medgar Evers. Officials will be in Philadelphia today at the depot. People can share their comments on the National Park Service website until June 1st. Coming up, find out why municipalities could risk uh, lawsuits if they don't adhere to a recent U.S. Supreme Court ruling. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
2: Hi, I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo for Southern Remedy. Each Wednesday, we answer your calls on health issues of interest to you. They range from medical questions on kids, young adults, baby boomers, and seniors. Whatever you need to know. Join me for Southern Remedy this morning at 11 on MPB Think Radio.
1: This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. An effort is underway to warn city governments not to infringe on the free speech rights of residents who display campaign signs. The Mississippi Municipal League and the Mississippi Justice Institute are asking city leaders to review their rules for political signs. Shadrach White is director of the Institute. He tells MPB's Ashley Norwood some cities are infringing on citizens' freedom of speech by improperly regulating political signs.
3: The issue with municipal regulations really around the country is that for many years, a lot of cities and local governments thought that they could uh, write regulations that made special rules for political signs, for ideological signs. Basically, a lot of local governments thought they could write special rules uh, based on what signs said. And the problem now is that um, in 2015, the U.S. Supreme Court said that those kinds of rules are probably unconstitutional. Um, And and the result, of course, has been after that ruling, a lot of cities have gotten sued over their sign rules. Uh, the, The way this issue came up in Mississippi is that we still have a lot of cities that have these kinds of rules on their books, and now we're getting into campaign season. It's election year, and so We, the the Mississippi Justice Institute, partnered with the Mississippi Municipal League, and we uh, helped write some guidance for all the cities in Mississippi to tell them, hey, these are the new rules according to the U.S. Supreme Court about signs, and you should look at them and think about changing your sign rules.
5: So what are some of the examples of what might be deemed unconstitutional? What are some of those examples?
3: Sure. So if you have a city rule that has special rules for, quote, political signs, that's something that would run afoul of what the U.S. Supreme Court says is unconstitutional. The reason it runs afoul of, of their definition of constitutional is that you have to read the words on the sign to know if the rule applies to it. So basically any sign regulation that you have where you have to read the, rule, read the words on the sign, uh, that rule is going to be unconstitutional.
5: And why is that?
3: So the Supreme Court said that uh, those kinds of regulations are content-based regulations. Uh, Under First Amendment jurisprudence, the court does not like it if there are rules that treat speech differently. And so uh, the, the court, Justice Thomas writing for the court, said that you really should not have rules that treat political signs different from church signs, different from ideological signs, because those rules are treating different kinds of speech differently. And, you know, in a lot of cities, those rules exist and have presented no problem. But the problem is if you get one mayor who wants to abuse rules like that, those rules are very easily abused. So I'll give you an example of a story in Virginia there was a mayor who had a disagreement with a local business owner, and the local business owner put up a big sign on his business that said, hey, the city is trying to take my business via eminent domain, and I've been here for 25 years, and I don't want them to. So he puts up a big sign that says this, and the mayor comes in and says, look, we have rules against ideological signs, and that's an ideological sign, and so therefore I'm going to fine you, punish you, that's an example of how a rule that treats signs differently based on what they say could be abused by folks who are in charge and hurt sort of the little guy, the guy that just wants to speak up and, and speak his mind via a sign
5: so what kind of signs are we talking about, like the front porch that you stick in the grass, billboards, what all kinds of signs is you know that's included in that?
3: Really, what most municipal regulations do uh, in Mississippi is they say no putting up political signs in your yard or uh, uh, on public land within a certain amount of time before the election or no political signs bigger than four by four or something like that. Uh, The problem with that is that those rules say political signs, and in order to know if the rule applies to a sign, you have to read the sign to see that it's about a campaign Uh, And so, therefore, that rule is unconstitutional. I should say, too, that the Supreme Court went out of its way in its ruling to say, you know, this doesn't mean that you have to throw all your sign regulations out the door. There's still things you can say in a sign regulation, uh, ways you can regulate these signs. So you can regulate signs based on their size. You can regulate signs based on um, their portability based on their materials. Uh, Cities just need to go through and make sure they're treating all signs the same way, regardless of what they say.
5: So if a city decides not to uh, consider the guidance, what's at
3: stake? Really, nothing is at stake until somebody sues you. That's what we're trying to stress, we're trying to stress, is that cities you know, can really keep the rules on their books as long as they're comfortable with a legal liability sitting out there.
5: Shadrach White is the director of the Mississippi Justice Institute. Uh, Shadrach, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for having me, Ashley.
1: Joshua Tom is the legal director at the American Civil Liberties Union in Mississippi. He says if local government officials do not adhere to the Supreme Court ruling, they are vulnerable to lawsuits.
6: Cities are in large part, not just in Mississippi, but throughout the country, are going to have to go back to the drawing board with regards to a lot of their signage restrictions after the S- Supreme Court's decision, Reed versus Town of Gilbert.
5: We don't want people to think that they're saying that they have to throw away all of their rules, you know. So, what are some limitations that you think could be not as controversial?
6: Well, the Supreme Court lays out some. Um, uh, permissible ways to regulate speech in its decision read versus town of gilbert that are not content-based and they include as long as they apply to all signs uh, size location lighting etc and so i would advise municipalities cities etc to to read Reed versus town of gilbert and to make sure that they go back and look at their signage Regulations, just as um, you know, Mr. White suggests.
5: It's also been said that it's it's sort of an infringement on free speech. Can you kind of talk about that?
6: We really want to make sure that restrictions, governmental restrictions on speech, are very narrow. Free speech is one of our most important rights. It's the right that many of our other rights are built upon. And so, as a general matter, we should make sure that the government has a really good reason before it starts regulating speech.
5: Joshua Tom is the legal director at the ACLU. Joshua, thank you so much for your time.
6: Thank you so much for having me.
1: Coming up, Mississippi after-school programs are coming together to help the state's youth. We'll get the details. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
2: Hi, I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo, Professor of Medicine and Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, and this is a Southern Remedy Health Minute. It's that time of the year again when insects get to be a problem. Allergic reactions can occur from the stings of bees, yellow jackets, wasps, and hornets, and the bite and sting of the imported fire ant. There are two kinds of allergic reactions to insect stings. One is called a local reaction, which is an itchy bump and area of swelling at the site of the sting. These reactions are usually not associated with generalized allergic reactions, which are the ones doctors worry about. If you do get one of these reactions, putting 2% hydrocortisone ointment on the sting site and taking an antihistamine, preferably Allegra or Zyrtec, or applying an anti-itch cream like Peroxime all over the counter are a good choice. The second kind of allergic reaction to insect stings is called a systemic reaction and is also known as anaphylaxis. These reactions are characterized by combinations of generalized itching, high swelling of the lips, tongues, and fingers, loss of blood pressure, not good things, and dizziness or passing out with wheezing or swelling of the voice box. Any of these symptoms are serious, and combinations of them are an emergency. Anyone who has a systemic reaction should use an EpiPen device and go immediately to the nearest emergency room. If no EpiPen is available, they should dial 911 in order to receive adrenaline from first responders and be taken immediately to an emergency room for further care. For people with systemic reactions, those folks should carry an EpiPen at all times. All folks who have EpiPen should be trained how to use them with an EpiPen trainer available to physicians and pharmacists. Most physicians give patients who have had anaphylactic reactions to EpiPens to use 10 minutes apart on the way to the emergency room if needed. In general, it's difficult to tell the difference between yellow jackets, wasps, and hornets, and not worth the trouble. If you need an allergy evaluation, allergists can test for allergies to all of these insects with special venom skin tests. All patients with severe local reactions or anaphylactic reactions should be evaluated by an allergist. For more health tips and medical information, listen for Southern Remedy each weekday at 11, where the doctors are always in. For MPB Think Radio, I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo. The Health Minute is underwritten by Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Mississippi. Information on how to make good health a family affair is available at bcbsms.com. Live healthy, live blue.
7: An evening of jazz can be just what the doctor ordered. Join me, Meredith Michelle, with WJSU's Evening Jazz, 7 to 10 weeknights on MPB Music Radio.
1: This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Leaders of the Mississippi Statewide After School Network say they're working to better the state by connecting providers Parents and policymakers. They say proven tools and resources can increase the quality of and access to effective after school programming. According to advocacy group, the After School Alliance, only one in three families who want after school care for their children has access to programs. In Mississippi, they say more than 200,000 school aged children are waiting for an available after school program, and nearly 90,000 are alone and unsupervised after school. Amber May is the network lead for MSAN. She tells us more about the group's statewide initiative seeking to change those outcomes. So the Mississippi Statewide After School Network is a coalition
7: of people that are dedicated to improving opportunities for after-school programming. Um, we believe that after-school programs... Are able to really move the needle in terms of academic achievements for students in Mississippi and that every child should have access to this particular type of programming based upon those outcomes. And so we work in three different areas in which we try to foster partnerships so that we're able to have those for after school programs. Uh, we advocate on behalf of after school programs and talking about the importance of them, but then also how we're able to work with providers and work with communities to make Make sure, those programs are of quality. Um, with those three things, that is the focus that we have with the statewide after-school network.
1: Is it? sort of an umbrella organization over all of the after-school program providers and you are sort of quality control?
7: We're just those persons that are really interested in the investments that after-school can make. Um, And so we do work with a cross-sector of people and we come together. Um, Some of the main work that we're looking at right now is how we can help providers to make sure their programs are up and running, to make sure they are of quality, but also what are some areas around policy and advocacy that we can also raise the importance of after-school programs.
1: How many kids would benefit from being
7: in an after-school program? Um, Hopefully, we'll hope every child in the state (laughs) of Mississippi will be able to benefit uh, from after-school programs. Uh, We know that we have... um, Currently, right now, with our 21st Century Community Learning Centers, which is the largest uh, coalition of people and entities that are able to support after-school programs, they were able to serve 13,000 kids. But we know that for every one child that's in an after-school program, there are three waiting to get into a program if available. Um, and we see after-school kind of as that fourth leg of the stool, that you have early childhood education, you have public education, you have higher ed, but then you also have to have after school programs as well. Um, That's really how we're able to build a very high quality educational experience for our children here in Mississippi.
1: I would imagine people think an after school program is a place for the kids to hang out until the parents get home. That is often the misconception
7: that we do have about after-school programs. It is, yes, do students have an opportunity to engage and interact with each other? Sometimes what they're not able to do during the school day? Absolutely. But they're also able to really tap into those concepts that they've learned during the school day and do a lot of hands-on activities after school. They're also able to participate in physical activities. They get a nutritious stack. They're able to do Um, workforce development around responsibility initiative is really about opening them up to opportunities and experience that happen beyond the school day. Um, And it's really what is crucial and very important, especially in that time during the summer when we know that if students are not actively engaged, they can be a uh, product of that summer slide and end up regressing two to three months before they start school back in August.
1: You said that you help the program's with policy. How? What what is the issue with policy?
7: Um, one way is how do we make sure that our programs are of quality, our centers are of quality? Um, and the way we really talk about that is how do we make sure our out programs are sustainable? Um, the largest federal source of dollars, which is 21st Century Community Learning Centers, is only available for a short period of time. But with those very valuable activities that students are engaged in, we want them to be able to last longer. So how can we make sure that that our programs are sustainable. But then also, how can we advocate on behalf of after-school programs? How can we talk to our legislators? How can we talk to our state and then also those in Capitol Hill about the importance to make sure we do have these particular dedicated funding sources, such as 21st Century, but then also child care development block grants that can be utilized to fund after-school as well. I
1: was going to ask about funding. Is Mm -hmm. there any funding from the state, or is it all through grants?
7: Most of the most of the funding right now is um, we don't have any state-level funding. Um, it's a goal. It's a long-term goal, but we don't have any state-level funding. The primary dedicated sources we have are federal funding, but there are quite a few foundations in the state that have supported and that do support after-school programs.
1: Amber May is the network lead for the Mississippi Statewide After-School Network. Amber, thank you so much for coming in. Thank you. MSAN is hosting a conference on May 17th at the Jackson Convention Complex. For more information, visit the organization's website, msafterschool.org. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9 o'clock, it's Fix It 101. At 10, Everyday Tech, and at 11 o'clock, stay tuned for Southern Remedy. If you missed part of the show today, find past episodes of this and other Think Radio programs online at mpbonline.org or by downloading the MPB public media app from the Apple or Google Play stores. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 830 for the next Mississippi edition only on MPB Think Radio.